Hi, welcome to a bonus episode of Spud Chat this week. Um, this week I'm uh, sharing the audio of a podcast that I recorded back in late 2022 with uh, the folks from Potatoes in Canada and their uh, Tuber Talk uh, podcast around uh, some of the work that we're doing here in PEI on cover cropping and soil health improvement. So uh, I'm being uh, interviewed by Bree Rohde uh, with Tuber Talk. You can uh, find their podcast wherever good podcasts are found, but uh, enjoy this short podcast episode featuring uh, me. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Tuber Talk. My name is Bree Rohde. I'm an editor with the Agriculture Group here at Annex Business Media, and I am here today with Ryan Barrett. He is a research and agronomy specialist with the PEI Potato Board. Ryan, welcome to Tuber Talk. Thanks, Bree. All right. Now, we have spoken a lot on our brand's podcast about uh, Living Labs and all the projects done through Living Labs. And I am going to get to some of your current projects very soon, but I wanted to start by talking about soil. Um, As you know, we've been talking a lot on this podcast about beneficial management practices with relation to soil health. Um, So I was wondering if you could fill me in on, um, particularly in Atlantic Canada, where you are, on what some of the biggest challenges are currently related to soil health. So uh, particularly here in Prince Edward Island, one of the biggest challenges we find in soil health, particularly in a potato rotation. In potatoes, there is a certain amount of tillage that has to happen. Um, potatoes are planted in the ground, they're harvested out of the ground. You can't no-till potatoes. So uh, in a lot of other parts of Canada or North America and other places, they've been able to move more towards a no-till system or a minimum-till system, which is harder to do in, in the potatoes. So what we're trying to do is we're looking at systems that can help to um, make up for some of the sins of of tillage in some cases, help with uh, soil structure and organic matter building and soil compaction and some of the other issues that come with some of that necessary soil disturbance in a potato rotation. Um, At the same time, like I would say most producers in Canada, there's a lot of talk these days about the role for agricultural soils to uh, sequester carbon, to be part of the solution for uh, greenhouse gas emissions and, and sequestering carbon um, and getting us further along the line towards net zero goals and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of interest from the growers, again, in ways that we can build soil organic carbon in a way that kind of has farmers being part of that solution. But at the same time, also making their feet, their soils and their fields more resilient um, to climate change, to adverse weather effects, uh, to the challenges that they see. And particularly in potatoes, and particularly in Pittsburgh Island, um, about 90% of our potato acreage is non-irrigated, which is quite different than most of the potato production in North America. You know, if you go to the United States, uh, if you go to Western United States, you go to Western Canada, the majority, if not almost all of the potato acres are irrigated. And so we have some irrigation in PEI, but it's a lot less than other places. And so we need our soils to be able to hold moisture at the right time, to be able to provide moisture during times of of, uh, potentially uh, water stress to drain properly when we do have lots of moisture because we can get 
four or five inches of rain in a storm uh, at times, you know, especially we got that Hurricane Fiona came up in in uh, September or we get some big, you know, summer rains, early summer rains and that can drop a lot of rain in a, in a short period of time. So we need fields that are properly drained. And again, that gets back to some of these things like soil compaction and soil structure and organic matter and all the all the types of things we need in a healthy soil. It sounds like you guys have to balance a lot. I mean, that's that's agriculture for you, but it's obviously a big balancing act right now. So with that in mind, can you um, give me kind of an overview of some of the projects that you guys are working on with Living Labs Atlantic as you guys are looking at uh, healthier soil and healthier potatoes? So we had three different projects um, as part of this, uh, as part of our Living Labs that we undertook through the potato board. Uh, the first is looking at cover crops before potatoes. So in the fall, normally in Prince Edward Island, historically, a lot of land was plowed in the fall uh, in preparation for potatoes the next year. And most of those acres didn't have a green cover in the fall. And what we've been learning more and more is that having a green, co green cover or something growing in the field for the maximum amount of time in a year is associated with building soil organic matter. But of course, it's also, you know, very important in preventing soil erosion. So we wanted to investigate um, the best options, the best timing and the best practices related to having a uh, cover crop ahead of potatoes. And also we were interested, there was some research from other places that showed that there may be a yield benefit from having a cover crop ahead of potatoes. So we wanted to sort of look at that as well and see if we could document some of that. So um, we had about 24 fields over three cropping cycles uh, that just finished this year and where people would plant a cover crop the year before potatoes and then versus a, a having a no cover strip or a no cover area in the field. Some farms would actually look at two or three different cover crops in a field. So we're looking at different covers and seeing maybe which ones work better than others. Um, and so, and we're looking at crops like um, spring cereals, like oats and barley, or we're looking at uh, brassicas like uh, radish or mustard, things that could be planted in sort of late August to mid-September. Um, and what we're doing is we're, we're working with farmers to move that tillage time frame up. Um, and instead of doing it late in the fall when you can't get anything to establish and when you're, there is that risk of erosion and nitrate leaching and, you know, uh, all the other things that come with late fall plowing, um, we can hopefully mitigate a lot of that through the cover crop. And what we're able to find is we did see a lot of the metrics that we expected to see in terms of you know, preventing soil erosion and um, a lot of the good environmental benefits of those cover crops. What we also saw is consistently over about a three-year period, so over about 20 to 24 site years worth of fields, is um, we saw about a 25 to, you know, 30 hundredweight yield improvement um, where there was a cover crop versus where there wasn't a cover crop. And that's about a you know, uh, somewhere around between a seven, eight percent yield bump. So that's pretty impressive when we consider, you know, the cost of the cover crop versus the the value of that yield increase is a, is a really strong payback. So, um, and we've actually in the last three or four years, we've seen a big increase in the number of acres in PEI 
that are doing a cover crop ahead of potatoes. So uh, we're already seeing uh, sort of that adoption curve has, has sped up quite a bit, and that's been really great. And it gets uh, land covered, and hopefully it also has some fairly immediate payback for those growers. Sounds like it. Um, now, uh, just wondering, because you mentioned that uh, some of the growers uh, chose different uh, different crops to do before potatoes. So with the trials where you looked at different crops, um, are you able to uh, explain what some of the reasoning was uh, as to some of the unique benefits of different crops, uh, like uh, brassica versus something like uh, spring wheat? Uh, what were what was some of the rationale behind choosing these different crops? A lot of it comes down to what's available and what's easy, um, because we're trying to make things reasonably easy to implement for farmers. And so what can we do that's not going to be a whole lot of extra work, but is, but is going to be successful? So the the benefit of something like uh, a brassica, so particularly like an oilseed radish, or tillage radish, or a brown mustard, is because it's you can put it on at pretty low seeding rates. So we're talking, you know, seven, eight pounds per acre. Uh, and they can put it on as they till with, if they're using like a vertical tillage implement, they can just have a, a cedar box on the tillage equipment and it's all done in one pass. So it saves time, it saves money, it saves fuel. Um, and it's, uh, you could put a lot of seed in that box. You can cover a lot of acres with, with those type of brassica covers. So we wanted to make sure, you know, is the, are the brassica covers causing any issue for potatoes, you know, in the next year, like any disease issues or anything like that? So far, we haven't seen anything to, to show that it is a problem, but it's just something we wanted to look at. And then, you know, conventionally, a lot of people have used, you know, barley and oats as cover crops. But of course, we want, again, we're looking at, you know, we're looking at seeding rates and we're looking at application methods and just what works for people because, you know, farmers are busy. Uh, they only have so many hours in the day. They only have so many, so much crew and so much equipment. And so a lot of it comes down to what can they do feasibly and easily that still gets them to their objective. So uh, that's been a big part of it. All right. So that was crops uh, before potatoes, but you mentioned, uh, you mentioned that there are a few different projects going on. So uh, yeah. can you to what some of the other ones were. So then we also looked at uh, cover crops after potatoes. Um, so in this case, we're looking at, um, you know, potatoes are harvested in Prince Edward Island mid-September through to the end of October in a lot of cases, later than a lot of parts in Canada because we have warmer falls in a lot of parts of Canada. And we're usually a little later planting in the spring than a lot of parts of Canada. So our, our production system is kind of phase shift a little bit from say Alberta or Manitoba, or a lot of other places. So. We do have more opportunity to establish covers in the fall than other parts of Canada. And so we want to, we're trying to look at, you know, how late can we push that? How late can we effectively plant covers after potato harvest that'll still come up and that'll still give some protection to the soil? In this case, we're really just focused on, you know, getting something to emerge, getting something to hold the soil together. Um, it could be a something that will winter kill, or it could be something that'll like a, a cereal rye or um, winter wheat or something that'll survive the winter and carry over till next year. In some cases, we're investigating things that, you know, will be a, a, a cash crop next year. So we did two years of trials. We're looking at uh, winter barley, which hasn't really been grown in PEI very much before. And so we're just, you know, working again, different farmers, different dates, different establishment methods, and just trying to, you know, work with them to, uh, you know, answer some of their questions and what works. So for some people, it was about how much 
seed should I be putting on? For some people, it was, you know, what's the best method to establish it? Can I spin on my rye ahead of the potato digger and incorporate it with the potato digger during harvest? Or should I be putting it on after and, and you know, sort of rolling it in after? Um, we did, uh, you know, we're working on different species in the same field and, and sort of doing a comparison. So, and largely what we found is that uh, fall rye uh, will do well uh, up to, in PEI, up to about the 15th of October on a regular year, um, which is later than most of the other options. Uh, most of the other options, the uh, winter wheat, you know, probably after the 7th to 10th of October starts getting too late. Uh, and then for like barley and oats, you know, in a normal year, um, don't do as well after the 1st of October. Um, this year, we had an extremely warm fall. And so there was a lot of barley notes that did well, even up to about the 10th of October, but um, they still don't have the, you know, they don't have the growth ability of rye, for example. And the benefit of rye is that it also will regrow quickly in the spring when everything else is either dead or <laughs> dormant, and it'll start growing in cold soil in April, and it'll provide additional cover in the spring when there is still erosion potential. So, mm -hmm. um, so working with some growers just on, on terms of that, we're able to show that those winter covers, you know, they intercepted a lot of nitrate, which is nitrate that doesn't isn't lost to the atmosphere as nitrous oxide or isn't lost into the groundwater as a pollutant. So that's great. Uh, we were able to show that cover crops uh, after potatoes um, decreased soil nitrate levels by up to 50 percent. So that was that was quite uh, good information. And we're also able to show uh, that, you know, following soil uh, with a you know, with a cover versus no cover had a dramatically less risk of soil erosion as well, particularly from rain, uh, rainfall, dislodging particles in the surface of the soil. So, um, so it, it, you know, we definitely met some of our targets in terms of uh, showing the benefits of those cover crops and, and communicating that with the producers. I was going to say, obviously, you guys had a uniquely challenging fall uh, with um, Tropical Storm Fiona and so a lot more excess moisture uh, than you would expect. So did that, um, I guess, did that play a role in the results? Is that something that you guys would have to maybe adjust for in a different year? We're actually somewhat fortunate, at least most of the island was fortunate in that um, in central and eastern PEI, it had been a a little bit dry immediately before the hurricane. And so the soil was able to absorb a lot of that excess moisture and not lead to too many problems. Uh, in Western PEI, where they had more rain ahead of the hurricane, um, there are a few issues with storage rot or a few issues with potatoes that, you know, they just got too wet. Um, and so that's something that some people are dealing with. A lot of it was dealt with by not, not harvesting uh, certain parts of fields and wet spots and stuff uh, anyway, just because they don't want to take the risk. And uh, generally, there has been a strong crop in that part of the province this year anyway. So a lot of people had the flexibility to not take stuff that they thought would be a problem. So um, and then after the hurricane, you know, we largely had about a month of really good weather, of uh, really good harvesting weather. And um, it was great weather for harvest. It was not great weather for storing potatoes because it stayed warm at night and uh, harder to get the storages cooled down. But uh, in terms of if you needed four weeks of weather to, you know, recover after a hurricane, you know, there's a lot of people didn't have power here for two or three weeks after the after the storm. So um, you couldn't ask for better weather afterwards. And so that was good for everybody that was 
um, harvesting potatoes as well. So it didn't really impact our results, I don't think, uh, to any great uh, degree. Uh, so that's that's encouraging. And but you know uh, there has been other times in in our research over the last few years where weather has had an impact on our on our uh, data and on our trials. Like for example, last year we had a very dry period in late September, early October, and so there was a lot of people that planted you know fall covers that didn't really emerge or that just kind of sort of sat in the soil for a couple of weeks until they got some rain and then they emerged, and so that kind of slowed down growth for for a few people so that you know that can have an effect on on uh, on results from time to time of course now you've talked uh cover crops before potatoes you've talked cover crops after potatoes but you did mention that there are three big projects that you were working on so what is the third that we're going to be discussing today so in our third project uh what we're largely looking at is measuring uh the impact of full season cover crops or full season soil building crops um, in rotation with potatoes. So we've had a lot of questions from growers over the last well, last few years about some of these different rotation crops and different options that people can grow ahead of potatoes to either improve soil health, soil quality, disease uh, management, pest management, um, there's, you know, historically in PEI, most potatoes were grown in a rotation that did not have a commercial crop the year before potatoes. So historically, the rotation on the majority of acres in PEI was potatoes followed by barley underseeded with red clover. And that's been, you know, pretty standard for a long time. But in the last number of years, there's been a lot of people changing that up a little bit looking at different cash crops, but also looking at different rotation crops that maybe replace red clover, because there are some challenges with red clover when it comes to verticillium and nematodes in particular, and maybe some other soil-borne diseases. So um, we just had a lot of people looking at different options and trying to see what worked for them. And so we're looking at crops like <clears throat> sorghum Sudan grass and pearl millet, um, in particular those two, because they're uh, they're warm season grasses that grow quickly. They're associated with helping with soil uh, structure and compaction, as well as building organic matter and disease suppression. And in particular, um, pearl millet is associated with reducing, um, it's a non-host for uh, root lesion nematodes. So quite a bit of interest in those crops. We also had quite a bit of interest in, again, some of the brassicas, so uh, brown mustard uh, or like um, uh, the oriental, like caliente mustards for biofumigation, interest in radish as a, uh, like oilseed or tillage radish as a full season cover ahead of potatoes, um, interest in looking at alfalfa as opposed to red clover, um, different mixtures. So we looked at, we had some fields where we looked at multi-species diverse mixtures versus like single species mixtures. Um, so we we did a little bit of difference. To, uh, it kind of differed by farm by farm, but over the three years, we had about, uh, I don't know, 25 or 30 uh, fields uh, over those three years where we were able to look at different comparisons and compare them against uh, a check, which was normally what was grown on that farm anyway or what would normally be grown in rotation so generally it's you know the check was red clover or ryegrass or something like that 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 was pretty standard for the farm so 
again, we all, we have we're looking at impact on soil health and soil quality and soil organic matter and compaction and a lot of these other metrics in soil testing. But then we're also looking at impact on the following year's potato crop. So we're following those fields for two years and trying to understand what the difference is. And in this case, you know, it's uh, it's hard to just say that you know one crop is necessarily better than the other or um there there's so many factors that go into it it depends a lot on the history of the field and it depends a lot on what's what varieties are being grown that sort of thing are they being grown for processing are they being grown for table stock are you worried about wireworm are you worried about early dying you know so it's a little bit farm by farm it's a little bit trial by trial but we will have some results that we'll be able to share kind of grouping these uh trials into you know different uh different categories and different uh different crops and trying to understand you know what levels of effects we did see yeah and uh obviously we are very excited to uh learn about those results when they come in uh now one of the things i just want to finish on because you mentioned in one of your answers that you guys um you want to look at what's easy uh and um you know obviously being being a farmer farming potatoes is not uh is already a very uh taxing job so um in terms of um adoption of these practices um or um or some of these crops that you're looking at what would be i guess in your mind some of the most accessible or easy uh easy to start so again i usually always say start small um, so if you're interested in, in looking at some of these practices, don't try and do it all at once, pick a field or two and always, uh, set up, uh, your own check to be able to like, especially in the first few years to understand whether you think you're making a difference or you're seeing a response. So if you're going to try some fall cover cropping, um, ahead of potatoes or something like that, like that, you know, leave a strip in the field without the cover crop. So you have something to compare if you're you know, trying one of these new multi-species mixes or you're trying a new, you know, full season cover ahead of potatoes, again, leave a comparison with what you'd normally do um, to try and assess whether you're seeing any difference. And, and that could be a good, that could be good or bad, right? Or indifferent. Um, and that's all good information to have because you don't want to go too far down the road on making a big change and then find out that that actually, you know, isn't to the benefit of your farm, your soil type, your crop rotation, that sort of thing. So, you know, there isn't one standard crop rotation. There isn't one standard recipe for everybody, particularly for growers all across the country, you know, where you grow and and what you do is going to be very different maybe than what we do here in Prince Edward Island. So it's, it's important to kind of get that flavor for what you're doing locally. Um, but that's, that's what I preach here to, to folks is just, you know, take it bit by bit, see how you make out. And then if you are happy with what, you know, the results you're getting, then you can scale it up a bit and generally try and find ways to make things work, um, in a way that either saves you time or at least isn't going to take that much more time. So again, um, if, if it's a matter of, oh, I, I'm going to do this, uh, full season cover ahead of potatoes, but I have to mow it four or five times. That's a whole lot of that expense and time has to be worked into the situation, into the equation as well. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's about, you know, how can we find partnerships? How can we find things that work? Um, Is there a way that we can almost that you can also combine a cash crop with a cover crop? So, you know, is there something I could plant that I could harvest early and then get a good cover in afterwards? So 
that's where we've had some people that have been exploring things like mustard or um, wheat or something that can be harvested fairly early and then get a big long cover crop in after ahead of the potatoes. Um, so that way they're getting both cash flow, but they're also um, building uh, their soils and, and doing uh, good things for the soil. So, um, you know, a, a lot of that, it comes down to uh, trial and error in some cases, and that's why we're doing this work on the farms. Uh, that's really one of the big um touchstones of living labs is is working with the farmers hand in hand on projects that they're interested in on and then work with individual farmers on these trials to try and identify you know uh what they wanted to do and so we didn't always have the same exactly the same recipe at each farm but we would have a similar standard in terms of what we're looking at across all the farms so that they're, they're at least comparable awesome all right, Ryan, before we let you go, I wanted to uh, get a chance to plug your podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about Spud Chat and where our listeners can find that? Yeah. So Spud Chat, I started uh, in 2021 to tr- as a, just, again, part of the knowledge transfer piece uh, for the types of work that we do with the potato board and through our different research and agronomy um, projects. And um we just talk with people in the industry. We talk with researchers. We talk with agronomists. We talk with farmers, and just talking about any topic in potatoes that we find interesting. And they could be local in PEI, or they could be, you know, across North America, wherever the, there's someone that's that's got something interesting to talk about. Um, so we're on a little bit of a summer high, summer and fall hiatus uh, as we're getting some of the work done <laughs> in in some of the trials. But I'll be restarting episodes here in the very near future um, in terms of uh, sharing uh, some of the work that we're doing uh, and uh, and bringing interesting people uh, and their stories in the potato industry to uh, producers and anybody interested. So you can find Spud Chat anywhere you get your podcasts. It's, list, you know, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever, you know, wherever you also listen to Tuber Talk. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, thank you so much, Ryan Barrett. Thank you for joining us on Tuber Talk. Thanks for having me.